Hermione Granger and the Silent Country. From There Is Nothing to Fear by Santissi Day. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 5 Roar Because Riddle was an absolute monster, breakfast started at 6.45. Madame Maxime, because she would follow etiquette even with the devil himself, insisted that everyone be present before the food appeared. It was a far cry from the relaxed mornings of Beaubaton and the refectory. No, the great hall, Hermione corrected herself, was still chilly and short on the aroma of freshly baked bread. When she sat down to platters of back bacon and sausages, Hermione was very momentarily taken aback and had to mentally confirm to herself that it was Friday and she hadn't overslept by a whole day. They simply did things differently at Hogwarts. The lack of formalities in Britain was certainly comfortable, but also a little disorienting. Then her jaw all but dropped when she saw Lino snatch a rasher of bacon on the sly, and he had been brought up Catholic, not just taught the peculiar courtesies of Beauvaton. Hermione then spent several minutes ruminating on the history of Catholicism in Wizarding France, but we will be moving on. There were several pots of coffee all up and down the Hufflepuff table, but before long they had all made their way to the French delegation. Samara could drink it almost as fast as the pots refilled themselves, and there were others who were not far behind. Hermione was part of that rush herself at first, but after the first cup, which she drank so fast and so hot that it nearly scalded her throat on the way down, she was able to pace herself better. Now properly caffeinated, Hermione pulled out her timetable to get a look at it. She had arithmancy and potions on Fridays, or just potions today, since arithmancy had been cancelled for the opening duel and werewolf studies on Monday mornings. There was no syllabus for that one, just a short note that the curriculum was eclectic and flexible, whatever that meant. Tuesdays and Thursdays were a mix of history of magic, transfiguration, lunch, and ghoul studies, back to back to back from 9.15 to 2 p.m. It looked doable, but Hermione had read that the staircases at Hogwarts moved around from time to time, and that there were places that weren't where one might expect them to be. Apparently the headmaster's office could be very difficult to locate, and she wasn't sure whether fifteen minutes would always be enough time to get between classes. She might have to chart out the paths ahead of time. The atmosphere this morning was tense, especially among the Hufflepuffs. It was obvious when Hermione looked who Beatrice Haywood was. She was the dark blonde sitting at the head of the table, the closest end of the professors, and was all but surrounded by other Hufflepuffs, plus a couple of girls from the other houses. Soon enough, before breakfast was halfway through, Haywood got up from the table and slipped out from the great hall. She was soon followed by a Slytherin boy, who Hermione supposed was Peregrine Derrick. Draco mentioned over breakfast that Derek played Quidditch, and he rather looked, though Hermione knew it was rather uncharitable to think so, like he had gotten on the wrong side of a bludger a few times and not gotten properly treated for it. There are matches every year, like for Quidditch or chess, Malfoy explained, after Longbottom made his own departure. It was ostensibly for Hermione and Fleur's benefit, but most of his attention was on Columba. Haywood and Derek are the champions for the opening jewel because they were the top-ranking sixth years last year, he smiled. This is the first time that Hufflepuff has had a champion at the opening duel since I arrived at Hogwarts, you know. As the meal concluded, Riddle stood, followed almost immediately thereafter by Madame Maxime and Karkaroff, and then the other professors and the students. A low, excited murmur built up as the students exited, and Hermione could hear snippets as people argued in favor of Derek's odds or Haywood's, or wondered how long the duel would take at all. 
Vicente and most of the other French delegates drifted away to the carriage, while Hermione, Fleur, and Adalia followed the Hufflepuffs out to the dueling grounds. Duels were held in a variety of places, Hermione learned from Malfoy as they walked, but the most important duels were always held at the school's Quidditch pitch. The usual stands were too far away and too high off the ground for most people to have a good view of a duel on the ground, but it was a simple thing to set up temporary seating that would be better positioned for this match. The pitch was ringed with tall towers and stadium seats, like a wooden coliseum, but dominated at its center by a gray limestone circle, thirty feet in diameter and three feet high. Derek and Haywood were already there. Their robes were nearly coats, loose enough to be easily discarded, but cut short at the knees to stay out of the way. Haywood's dark blonde hair had been tied back into a more functional bun. Longbottom was already present, standing in a small crowd and talking to an older student dressed in white and lime green robes. As Hermione and Fleur got closer, he came over to meet them. He put one hand on Columbus' shoulder and with his other gestured back in the direction he'd come from. Standing off to one side of the platform was an elderly witch and seven students, perhaps sixteen or seventeen years old, all dressed in white and lime green uniforms. That's Madame Pomfrey, the matron, Longbottom explained, leaning down a bit to get on Columbus' level. And the rest are from medical magic, mostly seventh years, but there's Chrisley Rackera too, Longbottom said pointing at a vampire with an umbrella and heavy makeup. He's just a sixth year, but he's very good. There are very many heroes, Fleur observed. Longbottom looked up at her. It's good to be safe. Madame Pomfrey is one of the judges. Not that uh, they score points like in some duels, but she can call a victor if uh, things get out of control. Is that usual? Hermione asked. It can happen, Longbottom answered. The headmaster is a very great wizard, but Madame Pomfrey is a better healer, and he'll defer to her if she thinks she has to intervene. And, of course, if you would have died with that meadow wizard on hand, then obviously you've lost the jewel. No, I, m- I mean, things getting out of control. Oh, that's, um, yes, sometimes, Longbottom said. Really, I don't like the thought of it, but I suppose it is good training. I mean, I still hope that Madame Pomfrey will pick me when my training's got that far. St. Longo's really likes seeing that experience— "'But I guess I wish there wasn't the need at all. "'I'm in, in medical magic with the rest of them,' he added. "'It's ugly work, but you get to do so much good.' "'They were able to get seats just a few rows above the ground. "'This is the perfect angle,' said Hermione, "'who had paid five second years a sickle each "'to leave breakfast early and secure the seats. "'But your sister's down on the bottom row,' Hermione observed. "'At least half of the first years were down there by the looks of it.' "'Dueling can be a bit intense, especially when you're as skilled as Haywood and Derek,' Malfoy admitted. "'There's nothing wrong with it, of course, but still it really is better if the platform blocks her view a bit.' Flitwick made a circuit around the platform, walking slowly as if he were counting his steps, and a hush settled across the stands while he climbed onto a podium in front of the faculty stands. He tapped his wand a couple times against his mouth and began to speak. His voice was high, even squeaking, but it carried well, as if he were talking directly into Hermione's ear. "'Nothing gives me more joy than to see two of my finest students engaged in the sport and art of dueling,' he said. "'For most of your peers, the single most important question is, who will win? I hope that I have taught you well enough that you aren't thinking that way. If you think only of winning each match as it comes to you, then you will eventually lose. But I didn't teach you to simply win. Dueling is the art of perfecting oneself until thought and action merge into one seamless whole.' Regardless of the outcome of this match, if you have dueled earnestly, if you have gone to your uttermost limit and plumbed the well of your potential to its greatest depth, then I am proud to have been your professor for the past four years. 
Out of everyone here, it is the two of you who will be most truly alive in just a few moments. I will be sitting here and watching, but only the two of you will really be there. The real glory is already yours, Flitwick concluded. Green and yellow sparks flew from Flitwick's wand, and Derek let loose immediately with a salvo of spells, breaking apart the arena platform and pulverizing stone so hard that it kicked up dust. Haywood raised shields, and he smashed them. She transfigured air into a pane of thick glass, and he shattered it and brought down a rain of half-molten shards. Derek was brutal, and Hermione could see how he had secured his place in this duel. But wherever Derek's spells landed, Haywood was never quite present, even if she had been there just before. While Derek lay waste from the end of his wand, Haywood simply moved. It didn't quite matter whether it was her body or the environment or a projectile that shifted position at any given point. She upset the platform beneath them both, launched herself through the air, and moved almost like she was a gust of wind. They were well matched. Haywood was quick enough on her feet that she could evade him, but she could never land a curse on him, and the few times that she tried, Derek came close to hitting her with a gouging charm or deterioration hex. Two seats to Hermione's left, Idalia leaned forward in rapt fascination, hardly blinking. Elsewhere, the Slytherins and Hufflepuffs cheered out or howled as the tides seemed to turn one way or the other. The Durmstrangers were generally enthusiastic so far as Hermione could tell, but seemed to be cheering a little more strongly for Derek. She wasn't sure whether that was from genuine feeling or out of recognition for the table they were sitting at. If Haywood's plan had been to exhaust her opponent, then it wasn't working. Derek's movements were careful, and he looked no more fatigued now than he did at the beginning of the duel. Then, whether from a desperate gambit or a measured sacrifice, Hermione couldn't tell, Haywood threw herself almost directly into Derek, invading his space. Despite the obvious impediment, Derek cast, and cast again with the same quick slash of his wand, and before he could cast a third time, Haywood had completed her own spell, and Derek's face was aflame. He screamed, and burned, and fell to his knees, and burned, and burned. The fire continued to pour out of Haywood's wand, red, orange, white, and hungry, and Derek collapsed. Only his right arm was spared, elbow resting on the ground, fingers desperately clutching his wand above the flames. Hermione didn't know how long it was before she realized that Haywood had been hurt as well. Derek must have used severing charms because she was pressing her left hand against her side, where her robes were neatly torn and bloodstained. Then Hermione saw that Haywood was favoring her left hand, and there were fingers on the arena ground, and still Derek blazed, no longer screaming or even moaning while his flesh blackened beneath the roaring flames. Fingers closed tightly over Hermione's shoulder. "'Breathe,' Fleur said, and Hermione turned her eyes away and forced herself to inhale, slowly and deliberately, focusing so that there was nothing in the whole world but that breath, and the next, and the next. The audience was more subdued now, solemn or shocked, or just gripped by anticipation Hermione didn't know. Somewhere in the Hufflepuff seats, she could hear one of the younger students crying. Derek continued to burn. Hermione didn't have to look to know it. She could hear the crackle of the flames. She could smell him, like charcoal and sulfur. If it helps, I don't think Derek can feel a thing right now, Longbottom said quietly. The way he's, I mean, when the burn goes right through your skin, you stop being able to feel it. You only feel pain in your skin so long as you have skin, you know. At least, um, that's what Madame Pomfrey says. Hermione opened her mouth, but nothing came out. She swallowed, forced down her revulsion and the urge to vomit and tried again. Why doesn't anyone stop her? 
she asked, almost croaking it out. She's one. In her peripheral vision, Longbottom shook his head. It was barely more than a twitch. It isn't over until someone forfeits or faints, or a judge calls it. Then why doesn't someone... He hasn't forfeited, he hasn't fainted, and his life isn't in danger. Flora squeezed her shoulder again, and Hermione just barely restrained herself from choking the air with foul invective. What do you mean? Flora asked. There are dozens of diagnostic spells running on each of them. I helped set up a few of the simpler ones this morning, Longbottom said, his voice a little steadier. I don't like it. I don't like how it gives them more room to push themselves, but I guess I'd rather they not get hurt still, and they would if we messed anything up. And he's got to get better, you know? Then what is she doing? Demonstrating control, Malfoy answered. If Derek's wand is damaged, then she loses, so she's being careful to stay below the elbow. She could win at any point, stun him or sever an artery and wait until Madame Pomfrey calls the match for her, but instead she's keeping him in between, on fire for as long as he can stay conscious, until he passes out or the damage gets too severe. Hermione found her voice again. Does she really hate him that much? It isn't about hate, Malfoy said. Look at her. I don't want to look at that. Not at what she's doing, look at Haywood. Look at her face, she urged. And Hermione did. There was no hatred there, and no joy. There was nothing at all. This wasn't sadism or malice or the settling of a duelist's grudge. Not as far as Hermione could tell. The expression on Haywood's face was determined, focused, and nothing more. Suddenly Haywood glanced away, looking out at the professors, at the headmaster perhaps, but the movement was so quick that Hermione wasn't sure it had actually happened until Malfoy spoke again. "'She's auditioning,' he said. "'Haywood is, by being where she is, standing where she is, the best student duelist at Hogwarts. She's taken dark arts and dueling, and she has top marks in a lot of other classes, but it isn't a sure thing.' Even if she were a prefect and head girl and had taken mind arts, and she hasn't any of that, then it still wouldn't be certain. Hermione turned back to Malfoy. She wants to be a Death Eater. There's nothing she wants more. Her father's a muggle, you know, Malfoy said, as if that explained anything, as if that didn't just make it more confusing. But just having the right attitude isn't enough. Every year the headmaster picks just two or three graduates. Two years ago he didn't pick anyone at all. Besides... This way is good for Derek, too, when you think about it. She's really doing him a good turn. What do you— Her question was interrupted by a terrible alarm, like the groaning of an iron bell, and Hermione snapped back to see Pomfrey and her assistants rushing onto the platform, their wands already moving as furiously as if they were in a duel themselves. Riddle, meanwhile, descended from his place in the stands, and amid the darkness of his robes his movement was like the slow and smooth flow of hot tar. One of the healers tried to tend to Haywood's wounds, but she waved him off and looked out at Riddle, as though she could meet his eyes behind the mask. Hermione would have thought the duel was, in some sense, still going, that at least there ought to be some announcement, but the Hufflepuffs were already standing from their seats and heading down. The Slytherins, perhaps understandably, were slower to move, but she could still hear a few jubilant shouts from that end. When Hermione went to leave, the rush of Hufflepuff bodies nearly carried her away like a flood, and she reached the bottom almost before she knew it. It had been obvious, even from where Hermione had been sitting, that Haywood could hardly stand. A pool of her own gore lay at Haywood's feet, and her robes were near black on the left side, but still she stood, heedless of what Hermione or anyone else expected of her. 
even when Riddle gestured with his hand and Haywood leaned against the long-suffering student beside her, it was a deliberate relaxation, not an exhausted collapse, and she remained on her feet. Hermione couldn't read lips, and the air was too full of noise for her to hear what Haywood was saying, only that she was talking. Behind the mask, it was just as impossible to tell whether Riddle spoke at all, much less what, but something seemed to be going on between them. Haywood fell to her knees, and it must have been from weakness, but it reminded Hermione of nothing so much as a knight making a gesture of fealty. To Hermione's surprise, Riddle crouched till he was at her level again. He put a gloved palm against Haywood's forehead, and she finally closed her eyes and went limp. It was impossible to tell where in the crowd Malfoy and his sister might be or Longbottom or anyone else, but Hermione wasn't much interested in anyone's conversation right now. She knew where the carriage was. Behind her, Hermione could hear the jubilant cacophony, not just of a house that had gotten its moment in the sun and triumphed, but of other students as well. She could even hear Derek's name shouted a few times before it all faded into a distant blur. Fleur and Adalia caught up with her around then, before Hermione could make it to the carriage and disappear into a pile of books. "'Are you all right?' Fleur asked. "'I'm fine,' Hermione did not say, because that was the universal line of people who weren't fine. "'I wasn't, but I'm doing better now, thank you.' "'Wait, no. Fleur was getting wise to that one now. Fuck, she had to think of something more. Somehow I doubt,' Fleur said. Perhaps because Hermione had given that line so many times that it was a canned reflex now. Hermione let her feet come to a stop. "'I don't want to look weak. Talk about it. To you.' Was it her imagination, or could she still smell Derek? Again the urge to vomit rose up within her, and her throat tightened in anticipation. She could almost taste acid on the back of her tongue. Fleur hugged her, and Hermione almost let herself fall apart, but the shame of that idea kept her together. She couldn't say, not here, not so soon, that she had even the slightest regret. Nor could she do anything. Nobody treated her like she was just fourteen, not in the delegation. Even Lena, who barely talked to her before yesterday, hadn't questioned her presence here. And when she was at Beaubaton, Fleur's friends had never made her feel like she was just a little girl who was tagging along. Would they still feel that way if she went home? What would Fleur, who had taught her to stay strong in the face of fear, think if she ran away back to France? "'Let's go back to the carriage,' she finally said, and they were silent for the rest of the way. Vicente, Samara, and a couple of the others were in the main section, playing Scrabble again. Samara rearranged some of the tiles to ask, "'How was it?' and made a fleeting smile. Hermione thought about how to put it into words. Then Adalia saved her from further trying. "'It was disgusting,' Adalia said." Samara raised an eyebrow, but Adalia sprawled across a conjured chair and said nothing more. Haywood was essentially victorious. They made the school watch as she tortured her opponent, and the duel was caught in their favor, Fleur said. She set him on the fire, Hermione said softly. Samara tapped her slate. Did they call the match for him then, or did nobody win? She still won, Fleur said. I expected many things from Hogwarts, but not this. "'That Julian Cod is obviously different,' she continued, in a tone which suggested that she'd be up all night reading about it. "'If they have a code, it looks like they duel until someone's about to die,' Adalia said. "'You don't need a book to say everything's fair if it isn't permanent. You don't even need a pamphlet for that.' "'They have a code,' Florence said. "'They have to. 
Rules aren't just about what you can't do. Never seen educational principle to rules. Remember they have completely separate classes for dueling and defense? Do you think Hayward was trying to scare us off? Samara asked. Hermione shook her head. I was sitting next to a couple of Hogwarts students I met last night, and they were talking about some of it during the duel, and that's not what they thought, at least. I hope that you are frightened. Go tell the others and frighten them as well, Adalia said, smirking. Then I will be the only one to offer my name, and I will be sure to cross my wand with hers in the tournament. I will not be frightened, Fleur said. And Hermione did not say she hoped Fleur would reconsider that. It was one thing to believe that Fleur could beat anyone, maybe even Adalia, and another thing to imagine that Hermione might be wrong, to imagine Fleur burning at the end of Haywood's wand. Really, how could she imagine anyone like that? It was sick enough to see Derek there on the arena platform, and she didn't even know him. "'You're sure it'll be her?' Vicente asked. Adalia rolled her head along the arm of the chair, just enough that she could almost face him. "'She's very clever,' Adalia said. "'Wand walk requires freedom of movement.' So she denied him that. Most of those spells he was using, they needed more space than he had at that point, so his options were limited. I wouldn't recommend it most of the time, but she must have decided she knew him well enough to predict what he would use, which let her decide how to defend herself. But she didn't defend herself, Hermione said. Those spells still hit her. Adalia shook her head. But they didn't hit anything important, that's what matters. I saw her hand afterward, before she was stunned and the healers could do anything to her. It had been sliced through to the middle of her palm, as if she'd caught a knife in the space between two of her fingers. Vicente raised an eyebrow. That's going to take delicate work to mend. She won't be doing anything with that hand tomorrow. At least the weekend is coming up. On Monday she will be okay no matter what she did, but this way. She is now also the best duelist in the student body. It costs her nothing, really. Adalia stretched and made a long, loud, satisfied sound. She will be the champion. I'm sure of it. It won't be the other one, at least, Fleur said. Of course not, but don't be too sorry for him, Adalia said. His spell work was plenty dangerous, too. If that last drilling charm had gotten her, Hayward would have had a stump for a leg till next week. Adalia shook her head again. But the fire was something else. She could have just won. Longbottom said something like that about Derek and being able to heal him, Hermione said. I guess that's true, Vicente said. If she didn't use dark magic, he looked at Adalia. She's a dark witch, of course, but she used nothing more serious than a fire-making charm. Then it's treatable. They will probably be undead for a couple of weeks, Vicente finished. There might be some complications, but that should just mean a longer recovery time. I don't envy his nightmares, though. There are potions for that, but it's dangerous to use them for too long. As the conversation drifted to the potential and highly severe consequences of mixing pain potions, Hermione withdrew to the carriage's small and highly inadequate library. But not before Fleur asked after her mind again, Are you going to be all right? I'll be okay, I promise, Hermione said, and she was starting to feel better. Adalia had the right idea. When someone pushed, you pushed back. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Day. The music is Amon Ra by Day's Witch, under a Creative Commons license, with assistance from 1T1. 
If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.